for your consideration tonight, take you to the book of Psalms, chapter 46. This is one of the most awesome songs of all of the Word of God. And I want to read from the Amplified Bible. And so I'm going to give you the verse when I change verses. But I want you to read along in your Bible. But I'm going to read from the Amplified Version of the 46th Psalm. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, mighty and impenetrable to temptation, a very present and well-proved help in trouble. Verse 2, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains be shaken into the midst of the seas. Verse 3, Though its waters roar and foam, Though the mountains tremble at its swelling and tumult, Selah, pause and calmly think about that. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Verse 5 said, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her rightly, right early at the dawn of the morning. Verse 6. The nations raged, the kingdoms tottered and were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. Verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, our fortress and high tower. Selah. Pause and calmly think about that. Verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations and wonders in the earth. Verse 9, he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow in pieces and snaps the spear in two. He burns the chariots in the fire. Verse 10, let be and be still. I like the way that says it. Let be and be still. And know, recognize and understand that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge our high tower and stronghold. And again, Selah, pause and think about that. Man, I don't even have to preach. That right there ought to be enough to light something up inside of you. But I do feel the word of the Lord tonight. And I pray God would help me I want to speak to you for a little while about resources for life struggles. Amen. Everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Imagine, if you could, the dreaded Assyrian army 
which at that time was probably the largest and most powerful and feared army in the known world. That army was marshaled and marching against you at at this very moment. It was going to come from the north and strike terror in the hearts of all of those it came in contact with and ultimately break, destroy, and make servants of God's people. The devastation that was left in their wake was astonishing. Before them loomed the fields that were green and golden grain waving in the wind. And after them, after their passing through, there was nothing but bare and windswept areas where they had ravaged and wantonly burned and strewn the corpses of men and women along the way. And they marched all the way to Jerusalem and they drew up around Jerusalem in battle array ready to bring down that great city of God. Hezekiah was in a pickle. He was in a tight place. And Hezekiah did what a lot of people try to do. He negotiated with his enemy. And he sent out a great tribute to to Sennacherib and he appeased him so much so that Sennacherib turned and began to retreat and go home. But on the way home he got to thinking about that city that was unbroken and remained secure behind its own walls and so he dispatched Rabshakeh to go back to that city and demand their complete and total surrender. Open the gates and let us come in and do at will. And when Rabshakeh came back and set himself around Jerusalem, the Bible says that for days he taunted and mocked and ridiculed Israel, telling them that their God would not answer them. And that their city could not protect them and the walls were not strong enough. There was an old prophet of God by the name of Isaiah that kept coming by and encouraging Hezekiah. And saying it's going to be all right. God is with us. And buoyed by that inspiring word of God. Hezekiah wisely refused to comply with the enemy. And God moved in one night with one angel and destroyed an entire host of Syrians. Amen. Go read it in the Old Testament. And so, as you can imagine, when they awoke and they saw that the enemy had been decimated, you talk about relief and thanksgiving and song And jubilation, it was throughout the city of Jerusalem. And either Hezekiah or Isaiah or someone else who had experienced that great relief penned these immortal words of the 46th Psalm. It has been such a powerful inspiration through the years 
that when Martin Luther packed his 93 thesis to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, and he at that moment set in motion what is known as the Great Reformation, that men were not saved by works, but they were saved by faith in God. And it began a movement in the world that transformed the minds and the hearts of people. It was this same Luther who, in his own time of discouragement, often would pin the words to songs and hymns that would be sung in church. And one of the, the songs that he is most noted for is, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And that song has been sung even until now. And it has been a source of great strength. And history says that he based the entirety of that song on the 46th Psalm. It was that psalm that he would call upon his friend to help him sing when he was discouraged and when the pressures of a Roman church were pressing upon him and death was imminent. It was this psalm that was sang and it has been so throughout the ages. The 46th psalm has become a song to sing in the midst of trouble or disaster or when it seems like all hope has been lost, it's always good to go back to this word and read that God is our refuge. Amen. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And the psalmist here in this psalm, in writing of his experience, points out to us, Three of the most powerful forces that assault the human life. Three things that come regularly to all of us. And they are things that can overwhelm and can drive us to despair. But in this psalm, he not only identifies what those three things are, but he gave us the answer to those things and he gave us the antidote and the solution and so tucked away in this short and yet powerful psalm are three resources that you will find that will be the greatest help to you when life is difficult and life is trying the first issue that the psalmist addresses is the age-old common thing called fear. Everybody say fear. Fear. It doesn't matter who you are or where you live. Fear at some point or other will visit your home. Fear is one of the most powerful forces of human life. And it comes from many sources. And the Bible says that fear is a tormentor. It does not allow peace and safety to be a part of your life. And so the psalmist names some of the things that will cause fear to come into a person's heart. Go back to the psalm with me. He says, therefore will not we fear, though the earth is moved. So one thing that produces fear in the lives of people is when the part 
the planet that we live on begins to reel and rock with uncertainty. Though the earth be moved and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, and though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, it means go back to what I said in the beginning. Therefore will we not fear. The psalmist said what moves us and what disturbs us in life is when life comes to pieces. And when trouble comes mounted upon trouble. And everything in our life is shaken. And life is destabilized. And everything that was normal is suddenly turned upside down. And there is no such thing as normal anymore. Things that you counted on, things that you depended on, no longer exist. Mountains, the most stable, the most powerful and impressive thing on the face of the earth. The Bible said even if those mountains are moved and they cast themselves into the sea, if everything in your life that you know of that is normal turns upside down today, the Lord said you don't need to fear because I have given you a resource that will help you deal with the terrifying effects of fear. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Life goes to pieces. Fear producers are many and they are varied. Calamities are one source of fear. Misfortune, blows, mishaps, the uncertainties that come down the road of life. Catastrophes are another source of fear. Upheavals, disasters, storms, tragedies, messengers of fate that bring us ominous news that we don't want to hear. But I think perhaps the greatest cause of fear in most people's lives is just plain old-fashioned change. Change scares me. Change terrifies me. Because I know what it's like right now, but I don't know what it's going to be like when everything is turned upside down. I know that we have a president right now, and I, I do not berate his office. But I will tell you that he prophesied a false hope to America when he prophesied change. Because everything about change is not always conducive to growth and the things that we desire. Most often change produces fear and terror because we like life being normal. We like knowing that when we get up in the morning, the tree is still going to be planted in the front yard and the water is still going to stop at the line that God drew on the earth and it doesn't encroach on our home and destroy what we love. But changes in life are what cause such fear. Changes. The things that you go through when you get older. The things that happen to your body as you get older. When you're young, you've got vim and vitality and vigor. You don't even think about that. But the closer you get toward the end, 
the more you realize how fragile your life is and it's just a vapor and it's going to appear for a while and then be gone. And we're always fearful of what's coming next. I remember when I had my last neck surgery. One night my neck swole up so large that it closed off my my windpipe and I couldn't breathe. And I woke up in the middle of the night terror-stricken. And I, I, I was not prepared for that. And I started gasping for breath. I tried to get my wife awake and and uh, she she was trying to help me. But the more I struggled to get my breath, the less breath I had. And I got to the point where I literally went into a panic. I've never had a panic attack before. I've never known what that was like. But I'm telling you, on that midnight occasion, panic come walking into my house. And I will never forget what my wife said. She said, okay, honey, you need to stop for a moment and just breathe deep. And then let's think about the Lord. And she began to sing and she began to speak words of faith into my life. And it was the power of that word that brought something into my heart that suppressed that fear and drove it down to where I could go back to sleep and rest that night. I am here to tell you tonight that fear is the greatest tormentor that any of us deal with. And it comes from a lot of different places. And the psalmist knew something about fear. He knew what it was like to wake up in the middle of the night and know that right outside the gates is a very destructive force that's here to tear down everything I love and everything that I cherish. And that fear would literally choke the life out of him until the word of the Lord came. And that word gave him an antidote to his fear. And that antidote was, you have a refuge. You have a safe place. You have a hiding place. You have a place that you can go where you need not fear what your enemy might do to you. Amen. Things may move and change, but God doesn't move and change. God is not affected by the convulsions of life. He is forever the same. And so for every fear, God has a hiding place for us. A refuge. Everybody say a refuge. In the confusions of life and all of the convulsions of life, there is a place that I can go. There is a hiding place, a refuge for my soul. He said he is my rock. A rock is that which is not moved. Your world may be moving and your world may be shaking. But God said, I just want you to know that I'm not moved and I'm not shaking. Amen. Amen. When fear comes slipping into your life and tries to choke the life out of you and tell you that you're not going to make it through this. You're not going to overcome this. God's antidote to your fear is a refuge. I love that word. Think about it. A refuge is what is needed from things that pursue you. Things that are chasing you. And it goes back to 
Israel coming into the promised land and God setting aside certain cities that were called cities of refuge. What were they for? They were for the man who inadvertently took a life. They were for the one who was being chased and pursued by vengeance. And if they would simply run to that city of refuge, when they got inside the gates of that city, they were safe for the entirety of their life. As long as they stayed in the city, the avenger could do nothing to them. Amen. Have you ever felt like something was chasing you in life? And it didn't matter how you tried to get away from it. You couldn't run fast enough. You couldn't think quick enough. What pursues us in life? Certainly the guilt of our sins pursue us. You think you get away from it. You think you've done it and nobody knows. And then you lay your head down on your pillow and you try to go to sleep. And all of a sudden there's somebody sitting on the edge of your bed talking to you. Saying, yeah, I know what you did today. I know how you mistreated them. I, I, I'm, and so there's that pursuing. And so we get up and we run. And we run as far as we can go. And we lie down again only to find that the pursuer is still there to remind us of our failures. And remind us that I'm going to get you. You're mine. You made the mistake. Now you belong to me. And so we get up and run again. Maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's just a failure or a mistake. But we keep trying to run away from those things that we have stumbled and fallen over in life. And God said, hey, wake up. I've got news for you. I've got a place where you can run and be safe. I've got a place where you can go and the enemy cannot come after you. He cannot get you in that place. Everybody said, I have a refuge. When sin pursues you or when your failures mock you or when mistakes run after you, you have a place that you can go when you're pursued. It's good to know I have a refuge. Amen. Everybody say, I have a refuge. A refuge and strength. Strength for the things that weaken me and strength for the three things that frighten me. He said, for every fear, I have a refuge. Amen. There's a place that you can go. There's a place of protection where the enemy cannot get to you. The second issue that he addresses and the second force that shakes our world in so many varied ways is weariness or fainting. Life wears out and it wears us out the demands of life are so taxing and our resources are so limited sustaining the flow of life under such circumstances is so hard to do jerusalem was the only major city of that time that was not built on a river there was no water source for jerusalem there was no place that they could go to to sustain themselves. Maybe it was God's way of reminding them that I'm, I'm going to be your river. I, I'm going to be your source of help. It was during this time of Hezekiah's reign that he realized how vulnerable they were. And so Hezekiah 
went to work on building an aqueduct from one of the wells and he secretly brought water into Jerusalem so that when Sennacherib and Rabshakeh came, they were, they were amazed that they could withstand their assault for so many days because they had no water source. What they didn't know was Hezekiah under the direction of God, had been wise enough to build an aqueduct that still exists to this day where water could be brought into the city. But that is so of life that there is something in all of us that demands sustaining. We need something that will keep us going because life gets overloaded and life gets overworked. And life gets overtaxed. And we are overcommitted. And we're overanxious. And we're overmatched. And we're overextended. And many times we run on empty. We only have fumes in the tank. And to those who were facing the world of fear and weariness, there was a remedy. The pressures of life overload us. Everybody say the pressures of life. They overload us. Unreal expectations of life. We grow weary in well-doing and how often we are strained by all of the needs and the necessities that life lays on us. There are pressures from the decisions that we make. Sometimes we don't always make wise choices and there comes to our life pressures. But there are also pressures that come from circumstances. And that would be okay if that's the only problem that we had. But we're not always overwhelmed by the pressures of life. Many times we are overwhelmed by the pain of life. Life hurts. Things happen that wound us. And they cut us to the quick. Things go wrong in life. And pain goes deep into the soul. We're betrayed. Somebody lies on us. Somebody hurts us. Somebody walks away from us. We lose something valuable in life. Whatever the source of pain, it slaps us in the face and it knocks us on our knees. And then if that wasn't enough, there is the pace of life. The 24-7 world that we have grown accustomed to living in. A world that demands more. More cars, more people, more airplanes, more computers, more books, more information, more products, more activities, more commitments, more choices, more changes, more technology. And they say to us that what we have is not enough. We just need more. And so we have this incessant going, busy. Life moves at a faster and faster pace, hurrying everywhere. Overextended, overworked, undernourished, lacking the sleep that we need. Why are we living at an unsustainable pace of life? And yet I would say that most all of us in this building are doing that right now. Amen. Busy schedules, full schedules. And we get wore out. I'm tired just preaching about it. And God's answer to weariness was you have a river whereof makes glad the city of our God. 
A stream that refreshes. A stream that revives. A source of power and renewal that nobody else knows about. Sennacherib had no idea that there was water coming into the city of Jerusalem because the aqueduct had been built in such a way to conceal it from the enemy. The enemy can't understand with all the pressure on you and all the pain you're going through and all the problems that you have in life and all of all, all the other stuff that goes on and the pace of life and you're going here and you're going there and you get up early and you go to bed late and your kids are screaming and your ki- and your boss is screaming and everybody needs a little bit of you. And there's not enough of you to go around. It is good to know that I have a resource that the world doesn't know anything about. I I have something that I can draw from. There is something on the inner being of man that was put there by God. He said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. I don't have to find my happiness outside. I don't have to look for help from another quarter. God put something down in me when he gave me the Holy Ghost that will sustain me through all of the weariness of life. Amen. Everybody say, I have a river. I have a river, a spiritual supply that sustains us. God has a supply for all our needs. Did Paul not say, but my God, but my God shall supply some of your needs, part of your needs, the major needs. Do you not know your Bible? There's not enough of you saying all. But my God shall supply. Not maybe. Not if you're a good boy or a good girl. Not if you pay your taxes and do all the good things that we, 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 we accommodate in life. The Word of God said, but my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory. When you come to the end of yourself, you're not at the end of God. Because God's not looking to you to fix the problem. He's already got it covered. Amen. Somebody say we have a river. A spiritual supply. God shall supply. When a man has a well, he doesn't have to fear a drought. And when he has a source of supply, there is peace that comes with that that passeth all understanding. We can wait out anything if we've got a supply. Amen. I said you can wait out anything if you've got a supply. What is tearing you apart tonight? What is wearing you out right now? What is stressing you so badly and the pain is so deep and it hurts so bad that you can't even think right and you've got to use some kind of medical substitute to help get you through life? Could I bring you to the altar of God tonight and reintroduce you to God's antidote to your problem? 
There is a river. There is a source. There is a supply. And you can go to it any time of the day or night. It's never closed. It never runs out. It never grows slow. It never runs to a trickle. It is a roaring river. It is a deep moving channel that will always have enough and more for whatever I need. Amen. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise. Hallelujah. Amen. And lastly, but certainly not least, he addresses one of the most troubling issues of life, and that is worry. Amen. Everybody say worry. Worry. Anxiety. Stress. You know, we all tend to be fixers in life, and sometimes life gets so messed up you just can't fix it. And so we worry. We stress. We fret. We wring our hands. We stay up late. We get up early. We can't sleep in the night. And, and we, we don't understand why. God, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm so worried. What, what are you worried about? Well, most of the time people can't really tell you what it is. They're just worried. They're just, they're, they're, they're just anxious. They, they, they don't know about tomorrow. They don't know how it's all going to work out. And so it was for them and so it is for us that worry is a very real problem that comes not only to, to, to the, the, the best or the worst, it comes to everybody. And God said, I've got an answer for worry as well. My answer for worry is simply this. Be still and know. Amen. God's answer to life's stresses is to be still. Amen. Now I need to, I need to educate you on that term. Because in the Hebrew, be still means literally... Take your hands off. Remember what I said? We're all fixers. We're going to work it out, even if it kills us. We're going to work it out if we have to stay up all night and all day tomorrow and all the next day. We'll figure it out. And finally God said, hey, would you just take your cotton-picking hands off of this and let me be God? Would you just take your hands away and let me do what I'm good at doing? Because you see, if you look close enough, you will realize that it's your handprint on it that's caused most of the trouble. And if you just take your hands off and let me be God, I have ways of working things out that you don't even know about. Do you know that most of us, if God let us work things out the way we wanted to work them out, we would wreck so many other things in life. There would be so much destruction in life around us. We would have so much collateral damage that when we looked around, we would think, is it worth it? I mean, we're talking about people who who think they got the answer to every problem. And God said, I'm going to tell you what the answer to life's worries are is a revelation. And that revelation is, I'm God and you're not. Take your hands off. Mm. This is Wednesday night Bible study if you didn't know that. Let me take over. 
I am God, you're not. And the trouble with most of us is that many times we think we are God. If we don't think it, we act it. We make our plans, we try to manipulate things, we pull strings, only to find that the best laid plans of mice and men go awry. Amen. God said, I have, a, I have an answer for your worry. It's a revelation. The revelation is who I am, not who you are. You're limited. I'm not. You're restricted. I'm not. You're inside the walls of a city. You can't go anywhere or do anything, but I'm not. And get this. In one night, one angel destroyed an entire host. And the psalmist said that that Lord of hosts, the one who dispatched that one angel, is with us. He's in our midst. He's right here. He's been beside us. He's been with us through the whole ordeal. God is with us. The trouble is too many times in life we've got to keep our hand on it. When if we would just take our hands away and let God, what a difference, what a difference it would make. He said, be still and know. There's a revelation there. There is a connection between knowledge and stillness. The reason some of us don't know is because we don't know how to be still. We don't know how to take our hands off. So we don't know. We think we know. It's like that prophecy that went forth at church one night. The Lord spoke and said, get you down off your high horse. You think you're smart, but you're not. I'm serious. That did go forth one night. Sometimes I want to get up here and make that same prophecy. Get you down off your high horse. You think you're smart, but you're not. The reason I know that is because I have preached at least, I I don't have, I'm probably close to 30,000 sermons at least, maybe more than that. I don't know if I've preached that many since I've been here, but I know in 40 years of ministry I've preached at least that many sermons. And you'd be surprised how many times when you're preaching their eyes are glazed over and you know that God's trying to talk to them, but their eyes are glazed and they're, they're at Six Flags or at Kroger or at Dillard's or somewhere. They're not at church. And God's trying to speak to them and they miss God's answer because... They're too busy trying to figure out how they're going to make it work. I got this. I, I can. It, it's cool. God, I, I can handle this. God said, I've got a remedy. I've got a revelation that I want you to get. And that revelation is I'm God and you're not. You don't have to play God. You don't even have to act like God. Just be you. Frail, weak. Human, insecure, all of those other things. But let God be God. Let Him be the one that steers and leads and guides and directs. He said, be still and know that I am God. When God called Moses, 
Moses made every kind of excuse he could think of for why he could not do what God was calling him to do. He said, even if I go, they won't believe me. And even if I speak, they won't hear me. What am I supposed to do? And God said, I'll tell you what you do. You go tell them that the I am sent you. The what? Go tell them that the I am sent you. And Moses went out in the power of that revelation. And in the power of that name, he led Israel out of Egyptian bondage. That was what Moses needed to hear when he faced Pharaoh. That there is someone who could. I can't, but God can. I'm not, but he is. I'm weak, but he's strong. I'm small, but he's great. I'm limited, but he's unlimited. I don't know very much, but he knows everything. Hallelujah. I am is with you. I am is with you. Moses went out in the power of that answer and in the power of that revelation led Israel for 40 years through the wilderness and never needed another name. Another, he, didn't have, he didn't even need another revelation, although God gave him many of them. But that one revelation, I am. I am what? I'm whatever you need. I am Alpha. I am Omega. I am beginning. I am end. I am first. I am last. I'm the bread of life. I am the light. I am the lily of the valley. Amen. When the devil screams at us that we are not enough, God simply says, stand up and say, I'm not, but God is. <laughs> Hallelujah. When your enemy mocks you from the other side of the wall and said, even if a mouse were to walk on that wall, it would fall down and crumble because it's so poorly built. You say, bring on the mice because I didn't build this wall. God did. I'm not able, but he is. When our enemy laughs at us and says that we are insufficient, we can say, you know what, you're right. But my God is all sufficient. When the enemy looks at us and said, you mean you think you're going to take me down? Goliath and David. The Bible says that Goliath laughed and then he got mad that they would send a little boy out to do a man's job. David said, you come to me with a sword and with a spear. But I, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. You laugh at me all you want to. One 
stone directed by my God can bring down your biggest enemy. Whatever it is you're fighting or facing tonight, whatever's laughing and mocking at you, maybe it's a habit, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's something that you've done that you can't get over. I'm just here to tell you that God is your answer. You can't do it, but God can. You don't have the power, but God does. Get your hands off of it and let God be God. My God, come on, stand to your feet right now. He said, I am bread, I am light, I am water, I am life, I am the good shepherd. Whatever you need, He is. Praise God. He goes on to say, the Lord of hosts is with us. One angel, one night, could smite all Sennacherib's hosts. He is with us at the kitchen sink when we're driving through rush hour traffic. When we're in desperate domestic need, He is with us. When we're in financial distress, He is with us. When we're lonely and fearful, He is with us. When we're failing and when we fall, the Lord of hosts is with us. Amen. And then I love how He ends it up. He said, the God of Jacob is your refuge. I like that phrase. There's just something about that that just amazes me. Because Jacob was a supplanter. He was a cheat. He was a liar. In modern terminology, Jacob was a low-down scumbag. To put it bluntly. I mean he deceived not only his brother. But his own father. And lived on the run for years. For years he ran for his life. And I think God put that in scripture. So that I could get the understanding. That if God would help a scumbag like Jacob, he'll help me too. (laughs) I'm not calling you a scumbag or me. I'm just saying if God would help somebody that low and despicable. I've never tried to cheat my family out of anything. I've never tried to deceive my brothers. But I have some problems I need help on. If God would help Jacob, God will help me. Bible calls him a worm at one time. That's quite a name, a worm. And God said, I'm, I am the God of Jacob. I'm not ashamed of your weakness because my strength is great enough to cover all of your weakness. Amen. My goodness, I wish I could preach right now. If God can help the weakest and the most unruly in life, then certainly the revelation that I need in my life to to combat the worry that comes is a revelation of who He is. He is my strength. He is my help. 
He is my God. He is my very present help. Amen. Everybody say present. Praise God. Moses, all you need is the I am. I am. You know what I like about that? Is that that same phrase is used in the New Testament. The Bible refers to Jesus and Jesus refers to himself as being the I am. The difference between the Old Testament and the New is simply this. In the Old Testament, the word I am meant the God who makes things happen. And in the, two, in, in the New Test, there's an emphasis added to it. It is the God who makes things happen now. Now, right now. Today. Right. A very present help in trouble. So why do you fear? Why are you stressed? Why are you worried tonight? You've got a refuge. You've got a river. You've got a revelation. What else do you need? I mean, if you would just live in that and live under the inspiration of that, you wouldn't have a problem because God's bigger than your problem. Amen. Brother Clyde I don't know what you're playing, but it sounds good. Sing it for us right now. Well, there 